Turn to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 6. There are two areas of life that I often compare to each other. Time and money. Have you guys ever thought about the similarity between time and money? Well, you've certainly heard that time is money, right? And so what we, uh, what we know as a culture, uh, in America anyway, is that every minute that goes by is a minute that you can be earning money, right? This is not the case across the world that you, that you have this sort of equating of time and money because a lot of places, um, there's plenty of time and not a lot of opportunity to make money. Thank you. But there is a lot of similarity between these two things. They're both resources that have been given us by God. And the Bible teaches us similar things about both time and money. The Bible shows us that both time and money are God's and not ours. We tend to think of the time that we have being our time. And the money that we have being our money. Again, especially in the United States of America, right? But God has given a certain amount of both of those things to each of us to steward. Now, what does it mean to steward, you kids? Do you know what a steward is? To steward to steward your time. It's not about soup, not that kind of stew. (laughs) It means that we've been given certain things to take care of, to, to use wisely, to use for God's glory. Everything that God has given us, He's given us to bring glory to His name. And he's given us commands about how we are to use both our time and our money for his glory. And, and this is where it gets interesting and maybe where the rubber begins to meet the road. God has also specifically required that we give some back to him. Some of our time and some of our money with the Sabbath and tithes, for example. And so today I want us to be uh, thinking about money, which the passage that we are going to read has to do with money. But I also want you to be thinking about time. Because they're so similar in the way that God treats them, in the way that the Bible speaks of them. So please stand for the reading of God's word from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. 
Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. When Heidi and I were not yet married, we were engaged, we were receiving premarital counseling. One of the things that we heard from a wise couple that was counseling us, some of the counsel they gave us, in other words, was to decide ahead of time what our standard of living was going to be. Some of you may have heard this story. And it's, it's something that's stuck in my mind and has been very helpful to us and to me in, in other areas as well in thinking about money and being wise in how we are stewards of the money that God has given us. <clears throat> and the same thing can be said of our time, right? To be planning ahead of time what level of uh, living we're going to be using our time for. And you think, well, what in the world does that mean? A level of living? Well, um, there are times in your life where you have more free time and less free time. Right? And typically, when you have very, very little free time or very, very little free money, everything is just decided for you. Everything is just going where it's going to go, and there's just not a lot of anything left over for you to decide what to do with. And so if you decide that you're going to, you know, blow it on M&Ms, then it's, you know, it's no big deal. There goes, you know, a buck fifty on some M&Ms, or maybe $2 if you buy the big bag, right? <clears throat> and it's the same with time. You know, if you decide, oh, well, you know, I'm going to sit here and scroll through Facebook for five minutes, and there goes five minutes, and that's all the time you have anyway, and so you've wasted five minutes. But if all of a sudden you have hours available to you each day, and all of your free time goes to Facebook, now there's a problem, right? Or if all of a sudden you've got an extra $250 a month and you're spending it all on M&Ms, there's something wrong. And so so this advice, this counsel to us to to set in our minds ahead of time what our standard of living was going to be 
a lot of it is about being, uh, about planning ahead. A lot of it is about uh, making sure that you're not, um, that you're not giving yourself to things that you shouldn't give yourself to in worship. Because this is really what we, what we see with our time and our money is that it reveals to us what we worship. A lot of the time, you, just, you can discover what's going on in your own heart by looking at when you've got free time, when you've got free money, what you're super excited to be able to do with it, right? When you saw the Israelites in the passage that we read today, they had free time, and they took their free money, and they made a golden calf, right? So this couple said, when you graduate from college, because we, we were still in college, we didn't have a lot of money, they said, you're going you're gonna to get jobs and you're going to start making real money. And so you have to decide ahead of time what you're going to do with it, or else it's just going to go. It's just going to go to, and, and then you'll begin to make more money, and then that will just go, and it'll be gone. And what will happen is you'll just keep increasing your standard of living. So standard of living is not $250 worth of M&Ms every month, right? That's, <laughs> that's just lack of self-control. But standard of living goes up by increasing the, uh, the amount of meat that you buy and then getting a nicer cut and then increasing your internet connection speed and then getting the larger cable package. And, then, and, and you guys, who can come up with a thousand more things where you can nickel and dime your way into all of the money that you've earned being gone, right? It's, it's real easy. Money flows through your fingers like water unless you decide you're not going to let it flow through your hands like water. And so what they said is, our standard of living would simply increase every time our income increased, unless we decided that that wasn't going to happen, that we were going to set our standard of living at some level. Now, why in the world is it a problem for your standard of living to increase? Well, it's not. That's not a problem in and of itself, right? But have you guys ever seen what happens to people who win the lottery? Have you guys ever read or uh, anything about people who win the lottery or maybe seen a documentary or something? I I remember watching. I've I've read and watched stories about people who win a million dollars or more, right? And it's not a pretty sight, is it? So what happens is their standard of living goes way up and their lives are ruined by their standard of living going way up. And then they end up bankrupt. Now, I want you to see those two things as separate things. Their lives are ruined before they are bankrupt. Does that make sense? Their lives are ruined 
because they have, they have the freedom to give themselves to whatever they want to, and, and they, they go off into any number of different things that are, that are sinful and that destroy their life, and that can simply be viewed from the outside as an increase in standard of living. And so, then they run out of money. And their lives are ruined, and they are out of money at that point. <clears throat> so, the, the, uh, the necessity of saving is something that we can all kind of get behind in theory. And, and that's completely at odds with your standard of living perpetually going up, right? But the other thing that this couple warned us about is that it's very easy to raise your standard of living, but it's very difficult to lower it. It's the same with your time. It's very easy to find something to fill your, two, your extra two hours a day that you, that you suddenly have and to fill it up with, right? But what's hard is if you need two more hours a day to do some additional work, how to clear two hours worth of free time in order to do that? You guys have all experienced this, right? <clears throat> and so I, you know, this, of course, is, uh, like all good advice, not advice that I followed consistently, but advice that I wish that I had followed consistently, right? Um, and so there have been, there have been times where uh, I made cuts to my standard of living in one, in one little thing, and it was very, very painful to me. And, uh, and they're, they're really little, silly things for the most part, but it's difficult to do. It's difficult to think about going from a nice car to a not nice car. That's standard of living that you're talking about, right? It's difficult to think about going from a fast internet connection to a slow internet connection. That was one of the cuts that I made at one point. That was like, you know, my the speed of my internet went. For, I don't know. You know, it got cut in a, to to a quarter of the speed, and it's like, oh man, life is terrible. I don't like living like this. But of course, if I had never experienced super fast internet, I'd have just been happy the, the whole time at the slower internet speed, right? It's very easy to go up. It's very hard to go down. And so here we are. We read in 2 Corinthians about the grace of God to the churches in Macedonia. And you think that the grace of God to the churches in Macedonia, if it's related to money, must be that he provided gifts of money to the church in Macedonia, right? But the grace of God that's described 
as coming from God to the churches in Macedonia is not that they were given gifts of money when they were in a time of need, but rather that while they were in a time of need, that they gave gifts of money to other people. That's shocking. It's shocking when we realize how wealthy we are and how much we love money. And so when we, when we begin to talk about money in the church, things can get very, uh, very tense very quickly. Because probably some of you are expecting to hear me tell you that you need to tithe and, and that, this is a, that this is a fundraising sermon, right? And the fact of the matter is you do need to tithe. Long before the ceremonial law came around, Abraham gave a tenth of his spoil to God in thankfulness, in gratitude to God for rescuing his family and giving him all of his spoil, his money. And Jesus did not do away with us responding in gratitude to God. Right? Nor did he do away with us giving back to God from what he has given us. And so now if, uh, if you think about why money is such a tense thing in churches, uh, one of the reasons is because we love money so much. And so money ends up being something that churches fight about because it's an idol to us. And because we go up above our standard, the, our standard of living that we should be living at. And because we love the comforts and the security that we think it provides. But all of these things have come from God and are to be used by us in service to him, whether that is spending them on ourselves and, and all of the things that we need. that God has given us our money and our time to use in this way, you, you, he gave you money so you could buy food for yourself. This is not a problem, right? This isn't, this isn't backwards. No, this is exactly right. But it came from God is the thing that we've got to keep in our minds. It came from God is the thing that we also have to uh, realize limits the degree to which we can say we own it. It's ours to do with as we wish. It's yours to do with as God wishes. And this goes for your time and your money. <clears throat> and so if you, if you tithe, good. Uh, but don't tune me out. Because this isn't actually a sermon about tithing. Right? Another one of the reasons that, uh, that talking about money can be difficult for us in church is because here I am and I'm, I'm preaching and I'm the pastor and I'm paid by you. And so anytime I begin to talk about money, there's a part of you that thinks, 
this is really sort of unseemly. If, if not going further and saying, uh, you know, I can see through him. This is just about him trying to get more money for himself. Right? I, I hope none of you think that, that little of me. But, but thinking that it's unseemly and that it's, and that it's awkward and, and so forth is natural, makes sense. But it's not, it's not awkward for us to talk about the gifts that God has given us. If we, if we stop thinking so highly of money, if we stop thinking it's so important and begin to think about the way that God has provided and the way that he uses the gifts that he's given to us to provide for whatever work he is intending to accomplish, then we can talk about money, we can talk about time, we don't have to be defensive, we don't have to be aggressive, we don't have to be uh, um, feeling awkward. We can simply say, uh, God has given much to us. He's given more to some, less to others. This is, this is fine, this is good. This is God's plan, and God has willed it that he accomplishes his work through his people, and all that he's given us. And so whether you're rich or poor, whether you're generous or stingy, whether you're living on loans or making a good living, whether you're living with $5 in your piggy bank or making... $300 an hour, whether you're disciplined with your budget or you never know where the money flies off to, whether you're jaded and cynical about churches and money, or whether you have no idea, didn't know that fights about money cause a lot of church splits. (laughs) Regardless, this sermon is for all of us. And the first point is that it doesn't matter how poor or rich you are, it requires faith to give back to God some of the money that he's blessed you with. It requires faith to give back to him. In Macedonia, Paul explains that they were given the grace of God and that it resulted in them giving generously. Generously. That's a sweet, sweet thing, isn't it? When kids are fighting over their candy, well, yeah, you can have the Tootsie Roll. But I'm keeping the Reese's and the Snickers and the Milky Way. and the, You can have those nasty wrapped-up peanut butter things that... You guys remember those? I didn't see any of those this year. I think they must still exist. But when you're stingy with your gifts, it's not joyful. It's not beautiful. When it's 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 not nice. It's not it's not loving. And it doesn't require anything of you to give away things that you don't like, right? And that goes from little tiny. Yucky pieces of candy all the way up to, you know, 
the car that I gave away, and then the person gave it back to me, and then I gave it away again. It's like, can't get rid of this car, right? <laughs> you can give it away generously, and, or you can, you can give things away just because you don't like them. You can give things away generously, though, because you desire others to benefit from what you have. And that's what the church in Macedonia did. I've known very, very poor people and very, very rich men who gave by faith. Both. Both the poor and the rich have to give by faith. And I've also known poor and rich who did not give by faith, but by self-righteousness and pride. Now think of Jesus entering into the temple and watching as the people came and gave their gifts. And one of the things that you see is that there's some people who give a lot, and there's some people who give a little, but that giving a lot doesn't make it by faith doesn't make it out of love, right? As a matter of fact, you've probably been given gifts by people that you really, really, as nice as they were, you really wish they hadn't been given to you because they came with strings attached. They came with the intention of manipulating you. They came not out of love and generosity to you, but out of a desire for the person to be able to control you and force you to do what they wanted. Nobody wants that kind of a gift. That's not generosity. That's not how we give to God either. If you think that you can manipulate God through your giving, God doesn't need your money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He he doesn't have any lack of money. And if you think that you can uh, manipulate his church, his church doesn't need your money. He provides for his church, right? Now, none of you are trying to manipulate. This is thankfully, joyfully theoretical here this morning. That's something for us to rejoice over, right? Just like Paul is rejoicing about the church in Macedonia. He, you, you can hear how, how amazing it is to Paul, how, uh, how joyful he is in the way that they give, how unexpected it is. That here they were, and before they were, they, they, they weren't, Paul wasn't expecting it, and in fact, he hadn't even asked for it, and they are asking, is there anything that we can do? Can we please give to the needs of Christ's church more broadly? They're doing it out of generosity, and they're doing it by faith. <clears throat> not out of self-righteousness, 
not by their pride. Now, here's the funny thing. We always think that it's easier for other people to give than for us to give, right? <clears throat> and, and again, remember, I, I want you guys always to be thinking about your time in this respect too, right? It's easier for so-and-so to give of their time or their money than for us because, and then you fill in the blank, right? And for the rich person, it's easier for the poor person to give because what does it matter anyway? You may as well, if you've only got $5 to live on, you may as well give 250 of it to, to the church because either way, you're not even going to get one decent meal out of it. And the poor person looks at the rich person and says, they've got thousands. Obviously, it's easy for them to give. I always think that it's easier for others to obey than us. They've been given easier jobs. They've been given more gifts, more benefits, whatever it is. It just seems like their, their circumstances aren't nearly as conspiring against them obeying as our circumstances are conspiring against us obeying. But when we think that when we think that others have an easier time obeying, it's just selfishness. It's just it's just us refusing to be gracious and generous and compassionate to others and only thinking about ourselves. If we're trying to make demands and prerequisites on our time usage or on our giving our money to God before he can expect us to obey, we're in a bad position, aren't we? <clears throat> Well, God, I'll, I'll obey you. I'll be generous with and, and give joyfully of my time and my money and service to you if you get me this new job. If you get me out of debt first. If you, or after you, you, know, you, you know, fill in anything there. There's no prerequisites on obedience, And it's better to enter heaven with empty money bags than to enter hell with full ones. Do you feel too poor to tithe? Remember the widow's might. This last week I was able to give a testimony to a man about God's provision for my family. And it's, a, and it's a joyful thing to be able to look at the past and see how God has provided and to see the ways that 
God does use the widow's might to accomplish more. Now, a widow's might, remember, a might is like half a penny. It's a really, really small amount. Okay? One of the things that <clears throat> happened uh, where God used a very, very small gift to accomplish a lot in our lives was while we were waiting to uh, complete Moses' adoption. And we needed a lot of money, but we were just waiting. And you get to the point where you're you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting, and you're not sure if anything's ever going to actually happen. And there was real question as to whether anything would ever happen. And then one day there was a knock on the door, and our neighbor had been out running, and she had found a $1 bill on the ground. And she came and she knocked on the door. And she said, I want to give this to your, towards your adoption. How useful is $1 to a $35,000 adoption. It's about as useful as a widow's might. Right? But what did God accomplish through that? He accomplished strengthening our faith. He accomplished giving us hope. He accomplished... So many things. I, I can't even go into all of them. <clears throat> the, you know, the opportunity to, for, on, for, for my neighbor to be able to uh, participate and, and give generously, even though the cost was small, and the, the, the humbling experience of receiving money from your neighbors, right? All of these things are things that God accomplishes, and we think, oh, no, no, it's not worth it. I'm so poor, what does my, what's my one dollar, what's my one penny, what's my ten dollars going to accomplish? God uses it. He makes it into whatever he wants it to be. And God has the ability to make things out of nothing. He started with nothing and he made the whole universe. Do you think he can take your $10 and and accomplish anything good with it? Is he going to be limited by the fact that it's only $10? No, he's not limited, is he? Later on in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says, Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And so we 
And so we give to him of our time. We give to him of our money. And we don't do it grudgingly. We, get, we do it cheerfully. We do it willingly. We do it to his glory. And then he takes it and he uses it. And he says, you must, you must do it. Not grudgingly. <laughs> you must not do it under compulsion. You must do it as you have determined in your heart. You think, well, I have these things that occur to me to do, and then I don't want to do them, and so then I would have to be doing them grudgingly. You guys ever experienced that? I have. It occurred to me to do such and such. I was feeling very generous at that moment <laughs> that, it, that I first thought of it and said, I should do that. But then the next day when it came time to actually do it, I didn't feel nearly so generous anymore, and I felt like I was under compulsion. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And not just cheerful, but joyful. The people in Macedonia had joy because they were in Christ, and they delighted to support the work that God was doing. by meeting whatever needs they could in his body. And so our love has to be for him and for his bride, not for the comforts that money can buy. Either we get our joy from God, as the church in Macedonia did, the people in Macedonia, who were a part of the church, right? Or we seek our joy elsewhere. And if we receive our joy from God, then it will overflow in abundance and it will flow out to others with us giving of our time, our money, right? But if we seek our joy elsewhere, it will never overflow. We'll always need more. And so it was the abundance, out of the abundance of the joy that Macedonia had. That is what caused their liberality with their money. It wasn't out of the abundance of their money. It was out of the abundance of their joy. You'll always need more of what you seek apart from Christ. First Timothy warns us of the danger of the love of money. First Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So don't long for money. Don't long for a higher standard of living. You will wander in search of it for years. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added unto you.
A tithe is really just the start of joyful, faithful giving. The Macedonians had a wealth of liberality. Does that sound like tithing? Let me figure out. Is it pre or post tax? Is it before I give to my 401? Is it? <laughs> That's not how you describe a overflowing a wealth of liberality, is it? What does it say? It also says they gave according to their ability, and then it says they gave beyond their ability. According to their ability. It's measured, the the amount they gave is measured by their ability, and the measurement is more than they were able. (laughs) In other words, they're crazy. Right? How else can you describe that? Isn't that what we say about people who give too much of their time? Isn't that what we say about people who give too much of their money? They're crazy. Beyond what they're able. How do you give beyond what you're able? Only by trusting God. How many of us are waiting to be begged, or at least asked, before we get out our debit card? Right? Before you, old people, checkbooks, that's what we're, before you open your checkbook. Macedonians were begging to be allowed to give. This is just nonsense to us, isn't it? I mean, you've got to recognize how crazy it is. We, we live in a totally different way of thinking. The United States is so caught up in money that we just don't think the way these people thought. They were begging to be allowed to support others through the collection. <clears throat> What a joyful thing that is. And so, here we are, a small body, being supported in part by gifts from the outside, and, and that's, that's a sweet thing. But we have plenty, don't we? And so it's, it should be our desire that God's grace grows in us. That, that this work that he's begun here, and I'm talking not about the work of establishing this church, but the, the work of causing overflowing liberality and joy on your parts. That's the work that he's begun, that that work would be brought to completion. I've seen the beautiful fruit in the lives of those who, by faith, with joy in Christ, give liberally. Malachi 3, 10 through 12 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. 
if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. How many of you have had people from, the, from outside of the faith look at you and just say, you're blessed? And sometimes they're doing it to justify themselves in disobedience. Say, well, just like we were saying before, it's easier for you. You've been given. I've had these conversations with people. You've been given this great job. You've been given this great wife. You've been given these great kids. And, and they're just like, they're testifying to the truth of God's word in Malachi, aren't they? My grandparents... Had a lot of money. <clears throat> a lot, a lot, a lot of money. But when you went over to their house, you never would have known it. It was amazing. Why? Well, because they set their standard of living, and then they lived at that standard of living, and then everything that was left, they gave it away. Millions and millions of dollars. While every house on their street got bulldozed and two lots combined and big mansions were built. (laughs) And they continued to live in their house. They could have built a nicer house than everybody on the street. They could have bought all the lots. But they gave in service to Christ and his church with joy. They never felt like they were losing anything. And that's how we need to be. And the Lord opened the storehouses of heaven for them, as he will for us. Those Macedonians, they weren't crazy. They had faith. They were the ones begging to be able to participate in giving. And then you get to the end and it says, So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. (laughs) That's us. Oh, I mean, we're not in Corinth under Timothy, but I mean Titus. But that's us. God will bring about completion of this work in us as well. Let's pray.